Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights, here with Jay Schwartz. This is Dueling Questions, as you can see from the title. But thanks, sponsors, Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication, CompC.com, Burbank Sports Cards, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Heritage Auctions, Huggins Scott Auctions, as well as Panini, Upper Deck, and Tops. Jay, we've crossed paths many times over the years. I don't know if you're going to ask questions about the dark years or whatever, but I'm looking forward to hearing your questions. And welcome, Jay Schwartz. Ask me your first question and welcome to the show. Sure. Thank you, Jim. You may remember that you walked into my office at SMU here in Dallas in the early 1980s, almost 40 years ago, and in your hand was a little book. And it was what is now known as the Beckett One. So my first question is, what inspired you to start Price Guides? I actually started in 76 with a price survey. I was a newly minted PhD in statistics and had done scholarly articles such that I eventually got tenure. But that wasn't giving me the same satisfaction as the hobby. I could see that there needed to be a price guide out there. I did a price survey that was national in 76, 77, 78. And then 79, I had a number of individuals ask me to expand it and sell it and make it more popular. Danny Eckes, who was my publishing partner in that, really encouraged me to go for it. He said, whatever you don't want to do, I will do. We'll get it done. I know you can do it. I spent the next nine months of my non-professorial time prepping that first book, which really, for people to know that the first of something is really where you break the ground. So uh, thank you for purchasing that book <laughs> because the rest was history. Excellent question. Thanks, Jay. Okay, first question for you. You've mentioned that you had this momentous theft what advice do you have for victims of hobby fraud or theft? Because I have another friend who's been here who never really recovered from a theft of his collection. And he, he just really never recovered. He had a great passion for cards and baseball. So what advice do you have for victims of fraud or theft or fire or flood or whatever? Because that stuff happens and you redeemed it. Yeah. So the first thing is be very careful in choosing an insurance carrier and then carefully examine the rider or the policy to make sure your entire collection is completely covered. The next thing that I would say is you absolutely need to videotape your most valuable collectibles because any insurance company is going to try to beat you down as they did with my collection such that you're going to get far less than what the value is. And then obviously you need to put your collection in a safe place and, and I failed that test thinking I had a safe place but it wasn't as safe as I thought. So I would recommend people, if you've got something like a Mantle Rookie or Gaudi Ruths or something like that, I, I would get a safe deposit box at a bank. Which I have done. So thank you. That's a ratification that I am on the right track. Thank you, Jay. Okay, your turn. Your question for me. Jim, if you could name your favorite set of all time, what would it be and why? Probably 56 Tops. It's the first card I ever laid eyes on. It's artistic. There's action. I'm guessing your favorite set is 55 Tops or pretty close to it. That might have been your first one. But anyway, um, 56 for me, and I think that's favorite. I, when I did my uh, Roberto Clemente painting that Bart Forbes, I commissioned him for that, put it in the style of 56 tops. My first was 55 Bowman, and I love those TV cards. Okay. But frankly, 55 Bowman color, 55 tops, it's a little before our time. I wish I were five years older because I would have loved ripping those 53s. That would have been great. That's totally a classic set. Totally agree. Okay, what would you advise people in terms of buying collections versus buying singles? In the sense that in order to buy a collection and to really process it, you have to have a lot of knowledge. Buying singles, you can say, this is a good deal on this card. Buying a collection, it might be an even better deal, but you're going to get some you want, some you don't. So what advice would you give to somebody that's trying to figure out, do I want to just buy only what I want or... Buy a collection. Frankly, Jim, I think buying a collection is more economical. It's just, are you willing to invest the time to really thoroughly study what's in that collection? 
And frequently when you go out on a card buy, the seller doesn't want you to sit there for three or four hours pouring through the collection. This is where you have to be really quick on your feet and identify the more valuable assets and try to put together a, a deal that will be beneficial where you've got some margin to work with. Now it seems like everybody's a dealer and everybody's buying. So finding these great finds, the Alan Rosen find, Mr. Mint, and all those things, those kind of finds are just not out there. And garage sales and antique stores, everybody is looking for very collectible baseball, football, basketball cards. So it's a much different game now than when we were younger. So do you mainly buy singles now? I mainly buy singles, and I only buy graded singles. Okay. So my question now, Jim, is what advice would you give for a beginning collector? And, and I can ask this in two parts. If you're, say, a 12-year-old boy, would you buy like hot rookies or would you buy vintage? And the same would apply to, say, a 35 or 40-year-old guy who's now he's got some assets. What would you recommend he or she do? That decision used to be made in a vacuum. I think in the age of social media, it's almost a community decision that you're supposed to collect what you like. I've heard that a lot, but maybe more for this younger generation, it's collect what your friends like so that you can be part of the flow. Because if you're collecting vintage and all your other friends are collecting the modern cards and participating in breaks, you're out of step. You actually may be doing the right thing, but you're out of step and you're missing out on the enjoyment of participating together in breaks and, and going down to the local card shop and buying packs. And there's no right or wrong way to do it. So again, I'm just amending, not just buy what you like, but hopefully it's what your friends like too. And if you had some friends that collected vintage, again, now you got competition, but you've got trading partners too. And then the hobby has gone from a solitary hobby for the most part back in the 80s and 70s to being a, more of a community-based, collaborative, sharing what you have kind of experience. You can be a contrarian. You can zig when other people are zagging, but I don't think most people, if they're 12 or 35 or whatever, they're in it initially for the money. The other thing is, are they truly a beginner? Have they never collected anything? Or uh -huh. are they a beginner in the sense that they're doing a restart, as you and I both did to some degree? Most people take a little hiatus. So you're a beginner the second time around, but you, and so you might want to replicate that younger experience of, of buying cards. Too many people, the beauty of opening a pack and not knowing what you're going to get is if, if you buy a card, it's transactional. I'm going to pay That's this right. money for this card. It might go up. But if you participate in a break or open a pack, you don't know what you're going to get. It's possible in this day and age now that you could get a life-changing card True. as a 12-year-old. Now, it, it might be $100 or $200, $300 buy-in, but you might get something that's five figures or six figures. It's possible. I don't want to tell people not to do that. If you're going to buy a card that's already graded, that's already has established value, you're going to pay the prevailing rate and it might go up and it may not. But if you pay it, you've got the card and you can show it to your friends. And there's a certain level of enjoyment for that too. You're not a beginner. So <laughs> you should take our advice with a grain of salt. Again, collect what you enjoy and collect what your friends enjoy. Okay. You already touched on this a little bit. And that is that you have a preference to buy graded. But with your extensive experience and having had a lot of raw cards, I'm not saying that you can technically grade your cards, but if a raw collection came up, what would you be concerned about? Would you pass it by if it was an offer that was too good to pass up? Or would you be suspicious? So are, are you turned your back completely on buying raw? Or what advice would you have? Because a lot of the collections that come up that seem to be a good deal are raw or not graded. Yeah, that's a great question, Jim. And, and this is something that I think your listeners should really pay attention to is that you may remember that back in the 80s when the hobby was starting to really explode. And I remember vividly 
one of the earliest cards that was on our radar was the Pete Rose rookie. And I remember as a national show dealer, I think it was in a, at the Atlanta National, I forget what year it was, but word was circulating amongst the national show dealers that there are Pete Rose rookies that are out, that people are shopping. And, and what I'm leading up to is the fact that the forgeries then were relatively crude to what they are today. So when you're buying raw, you need to be exceptionally vigilant, particularly if the deal is way too good to be true. The forgers are out there in force. And frankly, unless somebody who either has had experience as a grader or you really have enormous trust in, I probably would not recommend you buy the really high-end cards unless you have a high degree of confidence that it's authentic. Just having a loop is not enough. The way cards have been reproduced will vary in enormity between crude reproductions and sophisticated ones. So that's one aspect. Another aspect is the doctoring of cards. Now we've gotten to a point where paper technicians can rebuild corners. We've heard about card doctors and all of that. I'm very wary of buying anything raw unless it's uh, relatively low-value commons or low-value Hall of Famers. Unless I've got a friend who's a grader or has been a grader, I'll probably pass. Excellent answer. I do think that the counterfeiters, the fraudsters, are not doing uh, 61 Tops Commons nor Correct. in their reproductions. If you bought a very large collection that didn't have anything spectacular in it, maybe you'd think that might be okay. Well, let's see. Your turn? I've got a little bit of a curveball for you this time, Jim. Okay. What living sports star would you most want to have on your podcast and why? Living sports, celebrity star, whatever you want to call it. Living sports star, maybe Michael Jordan. I think he's got a mystique. He's uh, created a brand that's transcendent and uh, has a lot of, I don't know that he'd do dueling questions with me. <laughs> I think he'd want to uh, stick to what he wanted to talk about, but an amazing guy. I don't need to improve my jump shot or anything like that, but the will to win and the ability to elevate the players that he played with. Scottie Pippen, legitimate Hall of Famer but uh, many of the other players he played with, and Dennis Rodman, but the, some of the other guys, he elevated their play. And that's something that transcends sports. And there are probably many others, but top of mind, that's who I'm thinking of. Okay, without saying anything about anybody else, why did you choose Heritage? The positive reasons why you have chosen Heritage to be your auctioneer of choice for some of your better stuff. Let me just say that if anybody knows the Heritage team, they know that is a cohesive group. You sense the camaraderie there. I've been consigning with them for about a decade, maybe a little bit more. And you just get the sense of class when you're with them. And I, by the way, I have consigned with others as well. So I am not exclusively giving my business to them. But part of the reason why I am in Dallas is they invited me over and they really do take care of their consignment. The other side of it, of course, is as a marketing professor, I know marketing. And I will tell you that there are some things that they do. And of course, they have the resources to do this, wherein they reach buyers that other companies might not be able to reach. So I have to give a shout out to the guys because they're great. Lee Eskowitz is my prime guy, but he's in New York. They got a character down here in Dallas named Tony Giese, and he's a memorabilia guy. I haven't consigned a single thing to Tony. But just to show you what kind of teddy bear Tony is, he's a Wisconsin guy and I'm a Chicago guy. So we got the Packer yep, yep. rivalry to talk about. But 
He says, Jay, I want you to come out to my house. We're going to have beer and brats, and then we're going to take you to the ball game and see the Rangers lose another game. I go, I, I could handle that. The last time I saw Rangers here was when Mike Witt threw the perfect game in 1986, and that was at the old ballpark. I love to be around visionary people like this guy, Jim Beckett. I met him years ago, and I would call him visionary. It's great to be part of this whole scene. Thanks, Jay. We will be back again tomorrow with another episode. The man-